Hey, what up, Long Beach? We're back breaking news with another episode of the LB Fee Show, the podcast about everything Long Beach State Athletics. This show is hosted by the562.org. I'm JJ Fiddler, and joining me is the namesake, Andy Fee, Athletic Director at Long Beach State. Andy, what's up? How are you? I am doing well. Always uh, fantastic to spend some time with you, JJ. We are going to be breaking some news, which is great. I mean, obviously, you want to be doing that at all times, right? You're not, you're never staying in the same place in sports. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. So things getting better at the beach this week. We will be joined by Gavin Arroyo, head coach of the men's water polo team. They were off to their best start in years. They're going to be hitting the road this week, and we talked to him about his team and also his time with the U.S. national team at the Olympics in Tokyo. Before we get there, though, like I said, we've got some breaking news. So for, first things first, Andy, right now the top story on longbeachstate.com is about the indoor event entry policy, the change thereof, effective immediately, proof of a COVID-19 vaccination uh, 14 days after the last shot, or proof of a negative COVID-19 test result within 72 hours will need to be presented for any indoor event on campus. Obviously, that means first and foremost, Walter Pyramid. So Andy, j just another thing you guys have to deal with over there, huh? Yeah. And, you know, we certainly want to keep people safe. So we're, we're doing all of those things. Um, this is a, a mandate, so to speak, from the state of California. So any venue um, with a thousand or more indoor, uh, whether it's Long Beach State or UCLA or whomever, um, these are going to be people we'll see, um, you know, we have fans that go to various different events, so they're probably going to be seeing a lot of this. And, uh, again, it's, you know, the curveball in the COVID world that, uh, we've gotten, I don't want to say used to, but you know, we're, we're ready for it. So we've made those changes. You know, I would just encourage fans to, to get here a little earlier at events just to, to make sure that, um, you know, they get through the line. I don't think it'll, we've got a pretty good system in place, but always good to probably give yourself an additional 10, 15 minutes so you don't miss any action. But um, yeah, we're going to, as I said, try and keep people safe as best we can. And then obviously follow those uh, public health directives um, as part of uh, what we all need to do to hopefully keep everybody safe. Keeping everybody safe and a, lot, and a lot of things changing. The the game day experience at Long Beach State is a lot different. I know we do this a lot on this show, Andy, but is there any unsung heroes out there who have been uh, on the front lines of adjusting on the fly, as it were, recently to make sure that everybody's safe and, and able to enjoy the events? Well, always I'm, I'm going to point to Mark Edrington, who, who's been on the show before. You know, he's the guy that kind of quarterbacks everything. And then, you know, his staff, all of our event staff, um, you know, it's it's, you know, it changes. You have to get used to it. it. It's just not always the same every game where you maybe you get in a rhythm. So I, I really am appreciative of our facilities and event staff who just kind of keep rolling with it, keep rolling with the changes and, you know, keep giving people a smiling face when they, when they come here. And, you know, I, I understand there's hoops to jump through and fans may not be excited about it, but if we want to have sports and we want to have safe sports, those are the things that uh, that we need to do. So, you know, a shout out to, to all of our facilities and event staff. Absolutely. Got some good news coming as well. As I said, breaking news here at the LB Fee Show. Capital projects improvements happening on campus. You guys have four of them lined up right now. It's going to be the tennis Rhodes Tennis Center, uh, Ken Lingwood Aquatic Center, Blair Field, 
and the Long Beach State Softball Complex on campus, all getting a little bit of a facelift, Andy. That's got to be exciting for you guys. You've done such a great job of improving the already great venues here in Long Beach. Well, you said it. We already have great venues, so these are things we want to do to enhance uh, recruiting and fan experiences. Uh, so, you know, the first one I, you know, I'll kind of run through um, is what I think one of one of the most exciting in general uh, is lights at softball. And uh, we have a great softball program, Kim Souter, uh, great tradition and great history. Uh, but one thing we've been missing uh, is lights so we can host tournaments. We, we know for a fact that we can get great teams to come here if we have lights. I've, I've already talked to Kim. We're pretty sure we can get Oklahoma to come here. We can get UCLA for night games. These things help our RPI, which uh, certainly our, our first goal is to win the Big West Championship each year and get that automatic qualifying berth into the NCAA tournament. But if we get the silver medal, uh, so to speak, we want to be able to get in on our overall body of work, which means that RPI needs to be, you know, in that low 40s, uh, uh, you know, really to, to get that consideration. So we can bring them here, you know, maybe steal a game versus uh, one of those top teams. Um, it makes a huge difference. And that's a big project, uh, close to a million dollars. We're actually starting, I think tomorrow, uh, we're going to have our first meeting, a construction meeting about it. We're not sure how, how quick we can get them up, as uh, a lot of people may have read in the world today with uh, the sourcing of goods and equipment, et cetera, supply chain management. Uh, we're still not sure of a definitive date. We have targeted on the calendar as we dive into it more. But if we can get them done before the season, great. If we get them done in the middle of the season, but we're going to start construction as quick as we can. And uh, that's a big project. That's a big project, a game changer, a program changer for be, to be sure. You're right, Andy. Getting teams like Oklahoma and UCLA in under the lights is, is huge for the program. It's also going to change the schedule, huh? Because they've always played those double headers where they're starting them at one o'clock on a Sunday. It'll change the way that uh, that whole conference look is over there at Long Beach State Softball Complex. Yeah, I mean, it, it affords a lot of different opportunities. You know, one big advantage too, or, or it could it's an advantage now that we're getting lights, but a disadvantage is we typically don't hit at night. So when we go somewhere that is a night game and typically most of the postseason NCAA are night games, there, there's afternoon games, but it's a disadvantage currently for us because we're not used to, you know, seeing the ball at night I mean I, yeah it's bright yellow but it's it's a whole different deal so the the ability that if we're gonna play at UCLA a midweek night game that we can we can be prepared and be ready um, to hit so huge huge deal um, you know next up is the pool pool is a, a one of our great facilities over over the years can linger in aquatic center uh, but it's time for uh, a reboot. And so we're going to drain, drain both pools uh, over there and uh, all brand new uh, gun night and plaster, all that kind of stuff and re redo the entire pool deck, uh, update some of the uh, surrounding support uh, facilities, rooms. Uh, that's over a million dollars right there. Um, it's a little bit of a moving target as we, as we add things in. That's probably going to be done probably next summer because of scheduling and outside rental events. We've already booked the pool out. So probably next summer 
shut it down for uh, quite some time, probably probably two, two months, probably. It's at least eight weeks of work there. But again, as we recruit some of the best, we want to be able to uh, provide a first-class facility. And again, thanks to President Conley, uh, we're going to be able to do that. Rhodes Tennis Center over there on the same side of campus also going to look a little different with the resurfacing as well, right? Yeah, and that's another one. I don't think the courts have been resurfaced since uh, President Conley said that was one of the first things she signed off on when she began here, I think in 2014. So it's been quite some time. Uh, and again, um, you know, we want to be able to recruit great student athletes. So all 12 courts will be completely resurfaced. Um, all new kind of windscreen and graphics and, and all of that branding will be uh, redone as well. So smaller in scope, probably 150,000, probably maybe a little bit more. Uh, we're hoping to get that done this November so that in January, when the season starts, uh, the teams will be playing on those brand new courts. Last but certainly not least, Blair Field. A few things happening over there at Blair Field. I mean, you guys have done such great work. Speaking of doing great work on great facilities, uh, such great work over there, Bull Diamond at Blair Field to, uh, to turn it into the gym that it lays right now. And it's just going get, to keep getting better, right? Exactly. And as always, you know, thanks to Marilyn Bull for her investment. Uh, you know, a lot of what we're able to do out there is through her generosity and, and teaming up with the university. So as, as folks know, we're, we're redoing all of the, the game lights, uh, which will be fantastic. Brand new LED, uh, HD quality. So when we're on ESPN, it's, you know, looks state of the art and uh, delivers what we want. Um, we're also doing some, um, some ambient lighting projects as part of that too in the stands. Um, right now, the lighting all comes from those game lights and spills into the seating bowl, but we'll be putting new lighting in underneath the overhang to, uh, to make that a better fan experience. So the lighting in the stands uh, is, is what we want it to be. And then we'll also be doing some, uh, some really important work out in the parking lot um, and uh, making some ADA um, changes to make sure from a compliance standpoint that our, our uh, ADA fans um, don't have issues getting into Bull Diamond at Blair Field. And so it's going to be about $500,000 worth of work out there, coupled with probably about $2.4 million um, with all of that light work. So you know, we're getting close to about $3 million here um, in the next 12 months at, at Bull Diamond. And then moving ahead uh, is the um, project, which will include a brand new video board. Uh, our goal is to get the biggest video board on the West Coast, bigger than UCLA's, somewhere in the 29 by 50 foot range. So it will be Megatron uh, in terms of what it looks like. People will probably just be staring at the video board during a game, myself included. Uh, and then uh, down the left field line, we've got the old city building down the left field line, which we're going to convert into kind of a player development multi-use facility for the team and the program. So lots of great stuff happening at the beach, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Is it easier, just kind of get inside a little bit, is it easier to get things done like this when you do them as a group? as opposed to kind of just picking them off one by one. Cause when you guys do these, these improvements uh, on Blair field, uh, Bull Diamond Blair field, for example, it seems like they always come with something else, right? Is that just make it a little bit easier for you guys? Yeah. You know, I mean, when you do all of the planning and you hire consultants or architects, 
Um, sometimes you can save money by combining projects and getting kind of two for the price of one with some of the, the consultations and, and, as I said, architectural reviews and drawings. So we, we did look for that opportunity to, to figure out, okay, if we're going to do one, what would tie into that? So that's why, you know, we have primarily the game lighting, but lighting itself is if we're going to have lighting consultants, et cetera, on board. May as well, uh, you know, save some money there and knock off one of those other projects, which is kind of that that fan lighting, as I'll call it, for those in the seating bowl. We will obviously keep you up to date on any uh, thing happening with those capital improvements, those projects. Keep making Long Beach State look a little bit nicer, which is not that hard. It already looks pretty nice. Uh, before we get to our interview with Gavin Arroyo, I wanted to dip in a little bit on what was happening this and last week at the beach. Tough way to end the non-conference schedule for women's soccer, but they're going to be back at George Allen Field this week trying to get right for the conference schedule, hosting UC San Diego Thursday night in that conference opener. Big shouts to the women's volleyball team, finishing their non-conference season on a high note for sure. Their win over San Diego, number 21 San Diego, is the Beach's first win over a ranked team since 2016. It's also the first win over a top 25 opponent in the Joy McKenzie Fearbringer era. And they have been playing very well against very good teams, Andy. It's almost as if they're playing up to their competition, which for a, for a program that's improving right now, that's kind of what you want to see from it, right? Yeah, and a, a young program, in, in my opinion, in terms of the roster. So there's going to be growth and there's going to be learning curves, but it was great to see a team, uh, you know, San Diego, I think the, the night before had swept USC. So that's a great win and shows kind of the growth, uh, even just seeing it in, in the early part of this season. So, you know, I'm optimistic, you know, obviously got to stay healthy and, and keep playing hard, but um, it certainly looks like that young team is growing very quickly. Golf back on the course as well. So it was cross country. I already mentioned women's soccer, a little bit of everything going on at the beach right now. And if you want to follow all of that Long Beach State news, the newsletters, the videos, previews, recaps, photos, Twitter update, and interaction, you get it at the562.org. We now welcome on our special guest. It is his 15th year at the beach as men's water polo coach. It's Gavin Arroyo, coach. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Doing great, JJ. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, not as good as you guys were doing. Uh, best start for Long Beach Statements Water Polo since 2005 with your 8-0 and start. Uh, you, had, you had to be happy with that and, uh, and the way your boys came out and performed in those first two tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, we traditionally go to the Triton Invite and uh, the Inland Empire. Um, the, the Triton Invite uh, is kind of a mix of... Uh, you know, some strong teams and some um, maybe some teams that are on the up and up. But uh, the, the the big game at that tournament was the game against UC San Diego, who's, who's got a strong team. And uh, we, we were able to, to to get a win on that game down in San Diego. So that was a positive, uh, you know, bright spot at the beginning. And then still missing a couple of guys that, that, that came back, you know, subsequently after that tournament. So, right. Yeah, you, we talked a little bit about after that uh, San Diego game, that trip. Uh, and you said you really learned a lot about your team in that match specifically. Can you talk about that and the adversity they went through? Yeah, I mean, I mean, normal, normal competition adversity. Okay, so a good team, and and we're struggling. We're tied at halftime, and you know, a couple. You know, I never want to blame the referees, or but you know, a couple, 
couple situations uh, that starts the, the the pivotal point of the narrative of the game where it'll be well now this is going to be a distraction for us or we're going to go into victimhood uh, type of disposition and, and they were able to kind of get back on track and, and not let it bother them and, and, and have a great second half and and, and wear, wear San Diego down and, you know in that particular game so um, that was a good that's a good sign you know early on when you can you know because that's that's our sport I mean if anyone's watched water polo I know I know Coach Knight always says, I, I don't understand your sport because the referees have so much control, and they do, but it's the same for everybody. And, and the, the teams that can kind of, you know, ingest whatever is getting, you know, given or handed to them and, and get over it, then, you know, they usually tend to be on the better end, uh, you know, at the, at, the, at the end of the game. So, well, well they also showed me- mental toughness, although they didn't get the result. But you guys showed some mental toughness against the top-ranked UCLA Bruins last week in the home opener at Ken Lingwin Aquatic Center. Uh, you know, you guys come back, fell short a little bit, couldn't knock them off. But are you, were you also happy with the performance you saw there? Um, I mean, going back and, you know, what reviewing the game film and stuff, and, I mean, kind of knew it during the game as well. You know, being off for two years, UCLA had the, the, the luxury of playing last year. Um, you know, our guys haven't played, you know, a, a big game in front of a record-breaking crowd. I, I think, I think it was just a little too much for us. It's it's been so long. We we played super tight. We we couldn't uh, see things very well. It was we we did not perform at our best. Um, and I think it was just the, it was just too much for where we're at right now. But. I mean, the beautiful thing of having 890 people playing at home and, you know, presidents there and the ADs there and, and all this kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that experience that, you know, that your hope is that next time that's, that's not going to, you know, make you as tight or, you know, nervous. We just, we just couldn't get out of our own, our own head on that, that game. They, they did some good things, but we, were, we, we need to be a lot more uh, aware and focus on the tasks at hand instead of... Uh, you know, the win-loss or the crowd. Well, we'll dive in a little bit on the team, but before we do that, speaking of big games, you saw some big games this summer as an assistant coach for the USA men's national team uh, out there in Tokyo. What what was that experience like? It must have been so different from any other tournament you've ever been to. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us in the sports world are are, are going through, you know, unknown territory with, with COVID and um, you know, I went to two Olympics as a player, um, and this was vastly different than, uh, than that because of, you know, the COVID protocol. And, you know, they just really wanted us to, to go train and get back to the village, go eat, get back to your room, um, you know, go compete, go back to your uh, room. So it was, it was definitely different, you know, and obviously no fans. And that was strange. You know, we, we played a couple tournaments leading up to the Olympics with no fans. So kind of started getting used to that you know trying to play a high level ball with with you know two people in the stands yeah it was definitely definitely different um but you know like anything you you adapt and we were there long enough to where you just did you're just you, you become you know wrapped in your in your own little uh reality as far as you know what who do we you know what are we doing who are we playing you know how are we how are we gonna get the results we want to get you focus on matchups and tactics and things like that so you know, the, the, the new normal becomes normal pretty, pretty quickly uh, in that scenario. So. So, you, so you were just stuck in your room for, for a lot of that trip? Uh, yeah. Um, 
yeah, we had little apartments. And, you know, obviously the all the U.S. stayed in one apartment. You know, every country kind of they're splitting the apartment, these massive apartment buildings. Um, you know, we did we did have a, a balcony, so you know, kind of like Hannibal Lecter, we had we had our view. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it, it was it was a little prison esque. But you know, we 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 had we had things to do. So you know, again, the focus. There's always something on your mind to keep you busy and get ready for, you know, it's, it's either the next game or who we're going to face in the crossover game and, and, you know, how that narrative is going to play out. So it's not to say we were just sitting there with nothing on our minds. So. Right. Yeah. Well, specifically for the Olympic sports, do you notice the difference in the season following an Olympic summer, either as a player or as a coach where maybe the sport feels a little different, maybe you guys come back a little bit more motivated. I mean, it must be some sort of motivation to be surrounded by the best water pole players in the world. Oh, no, it's, I mean, professionally, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Cause you know, things are always changing. New rules are always um, being put into place. And, and, you know, the coaches uh, at that level, they're, they're there for a reason and they're, they're, they're smart and they're, they're adapting faster to uh, make the rules work for them and, or, you know, new techniques, new tactics, new ideas. And it is just, it's moving faster than, than it ever has. It's, it's exponentially growing. Um, and, you know, not being part of it is you, you think you're, you know, you're doing what you've always done and doing video and trying to be a step ahead in the college game or whatever, but um, you know, internationally being around that type of those type of minds and, and those types of tactics, it's just, it's, it's been so refreshing, you know, professionally for me to bite and chew on some of these ideas and play around with them from a growth standpoint it's it's been super fulfilling to be at the kind of forefront where the where the sport's changing and 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 then trying to uh hammer it down and what techniques are going to be useful in in terms of uh coaching that and bringing some of that to the guys at long beach and it's 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 really it's really it's really special it's really special so yeah that's what i was going to ask do you specifically or purposefully take those lessons or things that you saw at the Olympics and bring them back to the beach and, uh, and tell those guys stories and tell them what you saw. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not all of it is, is copy paste, but it's, it's pieces here and there, you know, that you can use to your advantage or to our advantage uh, here at Long Beach. You know, we, the NC2A didn't adapt all the rules that, that FINA's doing, but they've adopted enough of them where you kind of, you know, slice, slice that uh, layer out and, and, and play around with those techniques and, and those things that will help in this game, you know? Yeah. Well, what's the rule change that you think is going to be most uh, influential or, or, or change the game the most? or the one that you really had to let the boys know about and, and, and get ready for before the season. Um, just probably just more different ideas tactically. Uh, I mean, they, the, the FINA, they do do a 30 meter course, a longer course and a shorter shot clock. The, the six meter foul one, um, is, is, is the one that NC2A has, has adopted where you have to either shoot it or put it in play. You get locked. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the other ones to come along because the, the, there's some inside water stuff that really would help the referees. And then this, uh, the side subbing, the ho- kind of hockey sub subbing is, is, makes it really, really cool. It makes our game really dynamic. So hopefully those two come along um, in the future. So. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was just having a conversation with one of the local high school boys, water polo coaches, and he, and he was saying the same thing because his team's really fast. They want to get out on the counter. They want to outswim teams. Uh, how, uh, how about you? How about you guys? You know, what what kind of style do you think you'll be playing when you're playing your best water polo this season? Um, you know, with a shorter course, it does. I don't want to say restrict some of those uh, skill sets, but I think all, depending. You, I mean, you have to look at the strength of your team um if our, we have a lot of guys that are kind of bigger and maybe not super quick so when those guys are in we're probably going to you know we're playing more of a kind of power vertical game and then um you know we have some young super fast uh quick guys you know and then when those guys go in we, we definitely want to push tempo and, and 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 have more of that higher paced uh, style of game so it, it does get fun with you know coming back and having tons of new uh younger players where we can get to explore some of their their strengths and, and use that to our advantage so. and speaking about a little bit of the personnel you have this year uh junior rafael real vergara was named the golden coast conference player of the week after he scored 15 goals in the first eight games just pouring them in uh how did you find rafael how did he get to the beach um, you know, he, he actually came out and was playing with shore aquatics, uh, for a little bit for one summer, you know, obviously there's been a long time Brazilian connection with Long Beach state, uh, with Ricardo. And then, you know, being a part of the national team, we went down there for a tournament. So there's been, you know, a couple different, uh, you know, opportunities for me to meet with him. And then, um, his, his family, his, he has family that lives in LA through those things. We were able to, we were able to get him. So. Yeah, what makes him so good? He's just—he's kind of a freak of nature. He's just—he's uh, super athletic, and he just got a, a great feel for the game. And um, he can—he's he, got an arm on him. He can—he can throw. I mean, I'm kind of—kind of happy that baseball is not that big in Brazil because uh, he, he would <laughs> definitely be—he would be on the mound, you know. I think in this country, so uh, he, he's got—he's got an arm on him for sure. Well, he and the other guys are going to get some uh, some bolstered ranks here coming up quick. You said last week the guys coming back from the Fino Junior World Champions were getting back into the mix, able to play a little bit. I'm talking about guys like Kane and Frazier and Ward. That's a big deal for you guys, right, to, to have those kids representing uh, Long Beach State, representing the U.S. in those Junior World Championships? Oh, no, it's, it's huge. Um, it's huge. I don't think we've had three guys from Long Beach on a junior worlds team. I think probably since the maybe born in 69, we'll go back to the Mike Burks and, you know, Shy Cradells and uh, Larry wow. Larson uh, and, and that group, uh, Kyle Cops. So we're going back, you know, my, my, uh, my, my era. So, uh, you know, we, we've, we've come close to getting some guys back on the national team. They've trained for a little bit, but just, having people back in that pipeline is, is something that, uh, you know, obviously is pretty important for me and, um, trying to get that, you know, back, back, back up and going. So. Yeah. So, so even though they are uber talented, they can't just jump right in the pool. So how do you fold back in elite talent like that? It, uh, <laughs> it's a process, you know, um, and you're also dealing with dynamics of, let's say some people playing more and then they're coming back and you have to gently massage that transition. And then, you know, other than the obvious of, 
do they know what the heck we're doing on five man or where our priorities are on how we're attacking zone splits presses uh um i mean we definitely let's say our our, our, your growth gets stunted momentarily for getting those guys back in and you, you lose a little bit to you have to go back a little bit to go forward and but they, I mean, we were able to do the IE tournament with them. Um, you know, there was a couple times we struggled in that tournament. And then, and then even against UCLA, we weren't, our chemistry was definitely a little off and it's not necessarily their fault. It's, it's, it's just the process, the process's fault. And, and the, the, the way that I try to the coach is we, we try to do simple things where I want the players to, to learn and make decisions. I don't want to just tell them what to do and where to go and, and sometimes by doing that, you, you can be a little slow at the beginning. You're not you're not firing on all pistons because timing's off or timing's late on some of those looks. Um, but I I think definitely helps out in the end. Our, our growth is going to be greater than I think a lot of the teams that just uh, where the coaches just say you go here, you go here, and pass the ball there, and and they don't you know in, inspire true thinking uh, with their with their athletes. So. You guys are uh, you guys are headed north this week for some more non-conference matches at Stanford on Wednesday. Then you've got the MPSF tournament this weekend at uh, your old stomping grounds at Berkeley. Uh, what, what are you expecting from that MPSF tournament? You guys spent so many years in the MPSF. Now, as I mentioned, you're in the GCC. Maybe a little bit uh, more realistic road to get to that NCAA postseason. Uh, so, what are you expecting from that MPSF group? You know, this, this year is, uh, it's, uh, it's probably the most parody that I've, I've ever seen. Um, I know there's been some years where we say, oh, the GCC schools are really close to, you know, the Pac-12s or beating some of the Pac-12s. And this year, uh, this, this, our, our, our sport is at least 15 teams deep on, on any given day. Um, so going up there, I mean, even we have, we're seated uh, six and we have a great seed, but we're playing San Jose State, who's, I think uh, let's see they they lost the UOP in overtime. They played Cal super close. Um, they are a super strong team this year, and uh, you know anybody on any given day. So uh, you know that's one team, but everybody's there. That's uh, you know in the top twelve at least. I'd say every game is going to be a complete complete dogfight. Yeah, more more road games too, right? More more chances to uh, to talk to be in those. Um high pressure situations you talked about um, maybe, maybe yeah, absolutely some of those guys hadn't seen. So you guys go to those tournaments, you're going to be on the road and then you come back uh, next month to, to start that GCC conference schedule. You know, you've been in there for a couple of years now. So what is the key to success in the GCC? I mean, really our conference is so competitive. Um, it's really who can, you know, the, the, the cliche, I guess, who can peak at the end of the year. I think last year was the first year we had an at-large team go, um, you know, with UOP going. And uh, I don't know if that's always going to be the case. So the, the focus has got to be on, on winning that conference tournament, you know, not to say the obvious, but in order to, in order to do that, you know, the, the team's got to be feeling pretty good about themselves, you know, going in that late surge. And hopefully everything you've done, uh, you know, throughout the season is, is giving you the physical and mental preparation to do that. Absolutely. Great stuff as always, Coach. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, travel safe up to NorCal, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Go Beach.
Thanks again to Coach Royal for stopping by, Andy, before we get out of here. I know, I know we keep bandying about the name of what we're going to do here at the end of the, the show, and I like the idea of never naming it, but I think we're going to go with this for now. Do you remember those old Monty Pythons where they would do, and now for something completely different? And then I would just be like a guy standing in the middle of a lake next to an office chair. I love it. Okay, that's what, that's what we're going to do. It's now for something completely different with Andy Fee. Um, this week, I'm actually trying to sneak away and going to a concert. So Andy, now for something completely different. What's the craziest or longest you've ever traveled to go to a show? Could be any type of show, like for Broadway, uh, you know, concerts, yeah. music, whatever. Well, it, you know, kind of tied into vacation, but also to actually go see a musical act was, uh, in 2017, Nicole and I went to Europe and we went and saw U2 in the Berlin Olympic Stadium. Wow. So I don't know how many miles it is from here to Berlin, Germany, uh, but uh, we made that, that long trek and it was a unbelievable concert. I'm a big music guy. I love live music. Uh, I recently just saw Dave Matthews Band down in Irvine uh, about a week and a half ago for my first live musical act in, I don't know, two years or whatever it seems like. But my longest travel trip, whatever you want to call it, Berlin, Germany, to see you 2 That's a very good answer. Yeah, what was that like going back and seeing some uh, something live like that? So it was, you know, kind of weird in a way. Um, there was no opening act. Um, you know, we walked in, we had to show our vaccine card um, to prove we were vaccinated. Um, but kind of weird because everybody kind of like when you got in the seats, it was kind of like everyone was, I don't want to say weirded out a little bit, but it was kind of like, we're now amongst each other. Um, you know, we, we chose to, to remain masked, even though it was outdoors, but, um, it was really odd again, that the, the act was great, big Dave Matthews fan, but that kind of festival atmosphere that, that you usually get with opening acts and, and all of that wasn't there so it was a little familiar but also a little odd but it felt really good though to uh to see live music D dave's still getting after it after all these years uh dave's the man are you kidding me i've that's my guy right there dmb <laughs> yeah uh, those those show experiences like you just said the festival atmosphere i think that is that is exactly why you go to events like that specifically the outdoor events Obviously, Southern California having a, a few options for sure, but that Berlin Olympic Stadium must have been breathtaking. It was it was unbelievable. The history behind it, obviously, Jesse Owens and just to kind of walk through it. Um, it felt a little bit like the Rose Bowl is the best way I could describe it, because it sits in this like Pasadena like community on the outskirts, I guess, of, you know, the, the inner city of, of Berlin. So it was kind of odd, you know, it was like the Rose Bowl. We, we actually took an Uber, hopped out because it was kind of traffic-y and we walked through like a neighborhood to get to, uh, and it opened up like you're in the Rose Bowl. So it was really weird, uh, but the history of it was amazing. And you throw 80,000 plus U2 fans in that thing and it was pretty electric. Well, here's to more shows in the very near future for everybody, not, not just us. As we wrap up this episode, of the LB Fee Show. Thanks so much to producer Roger for putting it all together. Andy, thank you for having us at the 562.org and Beach Nation. We will see you very soon in the stands. Take care.